it's not a question of if you will do okay in life or good or bad. It's a question of have you made those decisions thoughtfully? Welcome back to the Modern Teenager, the podcast where we interview adults with the attention of learning and growing from them. Today on the show, we have Mr. Mangish, Wade Gaunkar. Can you tell me if I pronounced that right? It's Wade Gaunkar. What? Okay. I did not know that at all. That's a That's beautiful okay. pronunciation. So he's a serial entrepreneur who's built up many businesses and helps other people essentially create startups. And we're super excited to get to know his insight on how startups function, how we should go about um, growing a business like that. So first, we're going to start off with some rapid fire questions, and then we're going to transition into lengthier conversation. I guess I'll just start it off with the first question. What was your first job, Mr. Mangish? My first job, uh, it was part-time out uh, at, at, uh, at my master's. I uh, worked at the help desk at Northern Illinois University. Can you give us one word to describe yourself? Passionate about education. Three words, but. What is your favorite city in America? Chicago. What's your greatest strength? Relationships. What's your greatest accomplishment? Uh, there are many. Let me think about that one. One greatest accomplishment. Um, founding startup leadership program. The, the global accelerator that we have. What's your greatest weakness? Uh, many. There are many greatest weaknesses. They change with, uh, with your age. So, you know, it's never one at any point in time. And, uh, and I would say that, you know, when I transitioned from being an engineer uh, post-MBA to the business side, my greatest weakness uh, at that point in time was being too detailed all the time. And that's something I had to teach myself is not to do that. Because what, what ends up happening is if you're constantly too detailed, you're not thinking at the high level and not trying to you know, do the things. You're too much in the weeds constantly. So trying to come out of that was one of the, one of the biggest learnings. The other learning I had to do, uh, which I would say has sort of become my strength over a period of time, is I was not a sales guy. Right. But when you do your startups, you have to be a sales guy because there's really no one else. You can't look around and there's nobody. It's just you. So you've got to do everything. So I had to I had to be thrown into the into the weeds to actually that you figure it out. And that was one of the biggest weaknesses I had that I've overcome in the in the past, I would say. I still keep working on it. I, I you know, it's it's kind of hard to overcome that completely. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Rebellion or conformity? <laughs> Totally rebellion. Entrepreneurs cannot conform. What is the most courageous thing you've ever done? Uh, I would say come into the U.S. Uh, with very little money. Uh, back in 1998, when uh, I had no prospects of getting a job in India um, uh, without, uh, you know, the right contacts, because that's just how India was evolving at that point in time. Um, uh, on a whim, I decided to come to the U.S. for my master's, and I had very little money at that point in time. So it was either I was just telling this story to my kid just last week on, you know, how sometimes you have to make hard decisions and how you can't give up. And you have to keep, you know, plowing through it because if you sit back, things don't work out for you. They're just how it is and how I had to make a choice of at that point. 
you know, either paying the tuition or paying my living expenses for, because that's all the money I had for one semester. And so how I had to fight through that. So I would say the hard, that was, that was one of the, one of the most courageous decisions I've made to come to. What is something you look for in a friend? Honesty and, uh, you know, commitment. What is the most regretful thing you've ever done? Oh, so many. <laughs> we all regret so many things. Um, Oh, buying a BMW was the most regrettable thing as you, as you look back in the past. You might think it's interesting now. It's super expensive to maintain that car. It's fun the first four years when you're paying nothing. And then after that, when you even have to go for servicing, it's like, boom, thousand bucks, right? So it, it really adds up. So I would say I will, I'm, I will never buy that kind of a car that actually has high maids. Noted. <laughs> Oopsies. Hey, you had to go through the struggle so we don't have to. Thank you very much for that. Thank you. Amazing. So now we're going to transition into a lengthier conversation. And I'm going to ask you a very vague, generic, yet specific question to start things off. And you can go in in depth however you want to. What do you think is the most fateful decision you've ever made in your life? That's a very good question. So I would say that um, the most fateful decision, both in terms of positives and negatives, that I made was, uh, you know, do a startup right out of Cornell when I did my MBA. And, um, and, and, the, and the reason I say it's fateful is because uh, the, the positives of that were I learned what not to do as you guys are going to, you know, you're learning through the process of talking to people, uh, you know, uh, interviewing different types of personalities, but it, it also taught me many different skill sets, right. Um, in, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, the couple of ones that I already mentioned is how do you actually sell a concept? You know, how do you not say things more than what do you say? Sometimes, uh, too much is also not good. You need to say enough uh, and then walk away. So uh, a little bit of story around that, right? So right after MBA, or actually during MBA, uh, took a business course. Um, and I don't know if uh, how many people in my class took it, but some of us did. And a part of that was uh, to write a business plan that's cumulative in nature. And, um, and you know, you have to present it. They bring in real investors. They're not going to invest in it, but they're real investors who grade you on how, how you could potentially do this. And uh, so, so we created this, uh, uh, this uh, business plan around uh, telemedicine. Uh, this is telepresence even before Cisco and IBM and any of these guys even thought about it, Philips or whoever is doing it today. Uh, and this was back in, you know, 2005, 2006-ish timeframe. And so we, we built a business plan. We did some good research. Obviously, we hadn't spoken to any customers at that point in time. And the investors seemed to like it. And they were like, this is unique. We have not seen this. There are many problems in the business plan, and they give us good feedback. So we decided to actually go down that path rather than going looking for a job after that. A couple of us actually decided to go down that path. It was a fun ride. Uh, you know, we learned a lot in the process. Uh, we failed a lot in the process. And the reason it was fateful, in my opinion, is because uh, it decided my fate is after that, once, once the entrepreneur bug bit you, you're not going to go back and work for big corporations, even if you had the, had the option, right? So after that, even, even post it failed, 
uh, because of the mortgage crunch that we went through in 2008, 2009, I could raise no money beyond that point. Uh, there was no money left essentially, right? No one wanted to invest into, into new portfolios. Uh, I didn't have the wherewithal to keep going because I had student loans to pay at, for, for my you know, business school. So I had to go figure other things out. But in spite of that, I didn't go back to you know, large companies. I have been in startups since, since then. And, uh, and uh, it's been a fun ride, I would say. Yeah, I I really was actually intrigued to learn more about how the two thousand eight two thousand nine financial crisis really happened. Because, well, I I'll I'll just speak a little bit on my experience. I was living in Singapore at the time, and my dad made the decision. Hey, I'll literally just go back to um, I'll let's just come back to the U.S. Uh, in September of two thousand eight, and I remember actually on my birthday, uh, I believe it was Bear Stearns that filed for bankruptcy or something like that and on september 15th one big corporation just like stopped i I don't remember exactly what but can you tell can you tell me your experience with the 2008 financial crisis and essentially just explain it to us because we we never really lived through it interesting uh i I would have thought gustavo would have actually told you about it he being the finance guy he would he he would know deeply about this. You should, you should ask him the technical details. Now, I'm not going to be able to tell you all the technical stuff. I can give you the overarching story. And it's interesting. We actually, uh, at the university I teach, uh, the last discussion is on this. When we do financial statements as the, as the you know, section with, uh, you know, why CPAs are important and, you know, what accounting does and things. Uh, a, a paper they have to submit on is this, is they have to go research 2008, 2009 crunch and, uh, and discuss if CPAs could have stopped that right from happening. Because uh, some people believe they, they could have stopped it because they had purview into all the things that were going. But, but in short, this is what happened, right? Uh, and and at, at a large scale, it's always the fault of policies, right? It's really how policies are written for the, for the banking industry. Uh, there's a lot of loopholes that can be, you know, taken advantage of, et cetera, et cetera. And hence these thing, things keep happening in a cyclical fashion, right? The, two, the 2000 bubble burst happened because of that time. You guys are probably not even born that time, right? So when the 2000 first internet bubble burst, right? It happened because of policies because there was no IPO policies back then. People were just blowing things up like crazy. Then the Enron thing happened. There were no policies around how accounting needs to be done. And so they put in place policies around, you know, who's accountable and responsible for all the money flows that, that flows through the system. Similar to that in 2008, 2009, what really happened is uh, the housing market was booming. And because the housing market was booming at that time, a lot of companies, uh, HSBC, Bear Stearns, a lot of these companies decided to sell what are called subprime mortgages. Essentially what that means is you sell mortgages to people with very low credit scores and no history of good paying things back, right? Essentially what that means. And then they took these mortgages, the banks, and gave them to these hedge funds, which are essentially, uh, you know, companies that hedge uh, different, inst- different bets. So essentially what that means is you, you take money from one instrument, like a stock that you made money in, and then you take that and invest it in something else. So one of it makes money and eventually you make money. So you're hedging your bet somewhere. And they did that with these subprime mortgages. Is they took the subprime mortgages and then they resold that 
uh, in, in different formats uh, in, in the industry. And so it was a ripple effect that happened as soon as the uh, one thing, it, it was like a, like a house, you know, like a house of cards, literally. Uh, one thing went bad when uh, some people couldn't pay their mortgages. Uh, you know, the banks didn't have money. Uh, something went bad with the stock market. The, everything was so intertwined badly that the whole thing came crashing down really, really poorly. And there was no money left in the system because of that. And again, it goes back to, you know, policies, right? So then they had to come in and not only like this was, this happened during the Obama administration. And so they had to come in and, and rescue the banks they had to give them free money as we already do. Uh, we always do this, like what the fed is doing right now, they call it quantitative easing. Really, really, we are the only country in the world. This does that does it is they, we print free dollars. We, we go to the fed and say, Hey, print extra dollars. Right. And we not, not really in printing, but they just create new currency, which is bad because it causes inflation. Right. Uh, but but we're the only country that that has been doing it for so many years. And so that happened. They put in some policies and now we're, we're getting to that, you know, sans Corona, we're still, we were getting to that point with the 28, 29,000 stock market where things were gonna, you know, adjust itself. But that's what sort of happened in 2008, 2009. That was, that's why it's called the mortgage crunch, right? Because the, 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 the crux of that was the subprime mortgages that were sold and they were never going to be recovered. And so there was no money left in the system. Um, I, I would like to go back to your journey specifically for the next question um, on your life, actually. So in the beginning of your journey, when you um, immigrated to the U.S. and also started your entrepreneurship and your startups, was there anyone who really guided you um, in that direction, like in that direction, or maybe acted as a mentor or even father figure role to you uh, to really help push you on that path? Or was it all um, self-built? Did you all do it yourself? Or did someone help give you good life lessons that you still talk to today? Um, so so I, I believe that there are multiple parts to that question. So I'll, I'll, I'll take one at a time, right? So as I already said, the coming to the U.S. was not, to be honest with you, a very, very thought out decision. It was sort of on a whim in, in, in some ways. Uh, so in, in terms of mentorship, right, uh, there was no mentorship whatsoever initially, right? There was no uh, guidance in terms of uh, when I came to the U.S. on the path I should be taking, because really it was just, you figure it out, right? You came here, you figure out how things are going to be. It was pretty scary. I was lucky, I would say, in a lot of ways that I actually got two job offers right, for, you know, during campus recruiting. And, and I took one of them because really, again, there was no guidance. It's, should I be doing it? Should I be not doing it? Should I be looking at other companies? Some other friends of mine who actually, uh, you know, had, they had mentorship and guidance from whoever they were taking it from. They actually, maybe they made better decisions for themselves because a lot of them moved to Silicon Valley that time. When I did, I did not choose to. I chose to stay in Chicago, right? So uh, there, was, there was none at that time. No, no, no mentorship or anything. Uh, uh, you know, fast forward to the MBA and, and the journey beyond that. I would say that that definitely had a lot of, I got a lot of help even from my business school applications, understanding how to approach that, how, why, why should you even get an MBA? Because there was a lot of thought that went behind it is, should I be quitting a job? You know, uh, there's an opportunity cost to when you actually get away from the workforce 
go get an education. It's not just the, the tuition. It is the lost, you know, income that you have that goes along with that, right? So, uh, so it was a so, so there was a lot of mentorship from, uh, from family at that time, uh, friends who had already gone through the process. Uh, uh, and, you know, uh, so that helped a lot in terms of the, the pick of business schools and how, how, I should, how I should approach that whole thing. And one of the biggest, I would say, uh, positive that came out of that experience was I decided only to apply to top 20 business schools, which I wouldn't have thought of uh, before that, right? So one of the things was you don't need an MBA to be successful, but if you want to get an MBA, you should only do it from the top schools because the real value that you get from these schools, and Danny, you, your dad might have told you about this, is the network that comes with it, right? If you don't go to a top school, your network's not going to be as strong as it would from, from, a, from an Ivy League, for example, right? And that makes a huge impact in the rest of your life. It does. It just experience over experience of different people, my own personal experience. Uh, moving on to entrepreneurship, I would say that there was uh, uh, less uh, mentorship initially than there was in the latter phases, right? And, and the, the predominant reason was that in my class at Cornell, there were only two of us who decided to do it. Uh, myself and there was another classmate, uh, Parag, who actually decided to do, you know, do a startup. Different ones were not in the same one. So there was not, and even in the previous classes, there was not many people who had done it because essentially uh, Cornell's business school is uh, back then was not a hub of entrepreneurship. It may have changed a little bit now. So there was not a lot of mentorship in that, in, in, in that way that, you know, you couldn't go ask people the different things you could do or you shouldn't be doing. There was a little bit of help from the professors and some of the classes, which I eventually ended up taking because I stayed on campus even after graduating because it was low cost really. That was my biggest reason to stay there. And New York City was really just a four-hour drive. So it was a win-win situation. Pay, pay like 500 bucks a month on rent. You can't get that in most places in the U.S., right? And the living cost was super, super low. So that was one of the big reasons we decided to stay. And obviously, you get resources, right? Because you get engineers, you get smart kids, you know, doing math. Because I had this one kid uh, who was a senior, he was a math major, he was a senior, and he wrote almost all my algorithms for my startup. Super smart guy, right? I mean, he does some cool stuff out in Silicon Valley. Uh, but he was one of the smartest guys. He was, I don't know, he was so much more younger than me, but so much more smarter in terms of what he knew and what he could do. Um, Anyway, going back to your mentorship thing, right? So there was not much then, but as we moved out of Ithaca into, you know, the larger cities, uh, there, was, there was more support and it is important. And, and I believe that that's one of the big reasons that drove us to start Startup Leadership Program, right? It's because that is the, the ecosystem um, uh, that we have built that's global, that actually helps with these things. And, you know, mentorships come in different ways, right? So mentorship doesn't have to be always, you know, someone who's older than you or more successful than you. It can come from peers because you can actually learn a lot from peers because they may have made certain mistakes that they can tell you that you shouldn't be, you know, doing. Uh, and they can come from different industries. So, so we figured all these things out and that's the reason that Startup leadership, SLP exists for that main reason predominantly. Uh, the social impact, yes, but this was the, one of the big reasons is how do you help entrepreneurs get that support from, from different people? Um, just a quick follow-up. Well, first I do want to say it's actually really intriguing to me that 
uh, you didn't exactly have uh, anyone be a mentor to you in your early stages of entrepreneurship. I actually found that really interesting because so like I think almost everyone we've talked to before this has said that they've had a mentor like um, in the beginning of their journeys as well on their career paths. And I actually found that really interesting. But I also want to follow up with out of all the companies and startups that you've helped to build, has there been one that's really stood out to you or is really memorable to you? And if so, why for good or bad reasons? My, my own, I would say. I, th- I, I believe that, you know, uh, again, going back to the same experiences, because we said it was faithful in a, in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, when you do your own uh, anything, right, you guys are going to remember this experience all your life, no matter what happens with that, right? The positives and negatives that come out of that. Uh, so no, no matter what else you do in life in terms of, you know, helping other people, uh, you know, uh, doing your, you know, other startups, the first one is always the memorable one, irrespective of if it succeeds or fails. Because really, it teaches you the most in, in my experience. Uh, all, all the things that you go through that, that, that the, the, the personally, professionally, um, it, it's, it, it's fascinating. It's, uh, it, it can't be explained. You, you have to actually go through it, I guess, to understand the different facets. But I would say that's, that's the most memorable one for me um, for, for, the, for the reasons we already talked about before, uh, definitely. I really liked one part of your uh, story where you mentioned this really bright young guy who is excellent uh, at making algorithms. And to me, it sounded like you were sort of a mentor and a mentee of that person at the same time. So can you tell, can you tell us about how you yourself are in some senses, a mentor, uh, a leader, and how you can also learn from the people you lead in a sense? Because that's what we want to. That's why we want to focus on specifically. We want to be good leaders and good listeners and good learners. Very good. Good question. Um, so the key, right, uh, in any relationship is what you guys are doing right now is listening. It's super important. Doesn't matter, personal, uh, you know, professional. Most people don't do that, even in meetings. As simple as, you know. Uh, you're in a meeting and most people, and this is again, personal experience. Most people are thinking about the next thing they are going to say rather than listen to what the other person or people are talking about. And this actually works against you. If you have this attitude uh, and this is just a simple example, but, but this can actually, you know, uh, go in many different directions. The reason it will act against you is because now, because you stop listening, what you're going to ask may not matter anymore or what you're going to ask is going to be very random or it, it, it may have already been answered before. Right? So, so it's really important in this context to listen, right? So the listening skills are super important in, in any relationship. And what that does is uh, that, that helps the other person build trust with you, right? And vice versa, because you're, you're, you're trying to listen and understand the other person at the same time. Uh, in terms of how do you become both a leader and try to learn at the same time, the best way to explain that is what I believe in or I've, I've come to believe in is servant leadership, right? You may have heard this term. You may not have heard this term. Many people use it loosely. But at the crux, really, what it means is uh, removing roadblocks for people. 
That's really what servant leadership is. Uh, it's less about telling what people to do. It is more about setting a direction and then helping them get there, right? And, th and this works in the mentor world also, is if, if someone, you know, you're helping somebody to, to you know, start, a, start a company or take their idea and commercialize it, um, you're not going to do it for them, right? But you're actually going to help them unlock the things that they need to help them be successful at what they're doing. And that's what I mean by servant leadership. That's sort of, you know, a mentor role in that sense where they're actually helping unstick problems, unstick situations, uh, you know, remove roadblocks if they need, for example, introductions, if they need help with, with certain, uh, you know, uh, things that they're creating, some feedback that they need, those, those sort of things. So the key in, in that process is as you go through that process, because you're, attitude is that of a listener and of person who wants to help you automatically uh you know being a servant leader you automatically start learning in that process uh, and there's always new things you will learn it's fascinating right like i personally have never done a podcast like run a podcast right i don't know how it does, how it works right uh, danny told me that he knows how to take a zoom recording and then uh, create audio out of that and, and you know, edit it in a way that it sounds perfect. I, I, I've never done that. I don't know how to do that. Something I could learn, right? So it's, it's, it's something about always, you know, a give and take that constantly happens. So it doesn't matter uh, in the sense uh, who's the mentor, who's the mentee. The, the, it's all in the mindset, right? Is how do you approach any relationship? Is it only somewhere, a place where you think that, oh, I, how, what does that person know, right? Uh, I know much more because I have done X, Y, Z. Well, but you don't have the same experiences that the other person had. So it's really in the attitude and how you approach the relationships. Thank you. I, I do want to agree. I think that's something that we uh, both have been guilty of, um, as, as to what you were saying before, in terms of uh, focusing on the own question or our own question that we do want to ask, and then sometimes not being able to listen and like, um, then even then, like we stutter and do stuff like this. And at the end, uh, in the end, it's always about learning and improving as a podcast. And we appreciate your help for that. Are there any final words or lessons that uh, you want to tell us? Any, any super useful advice that you may have? I would say number one is uh, keep an open mind. It's, it's very, very important for, for most people it doesn't matter what your age is. Even for someone like me, I can get close-minded sometimes about certain things. And, you know, you, you need other people reminding you that, you know, hey, quick thing, you know, keep an open mind, you know, look at different options. I would say that's super important in anything you do, right? So uh, it, it actually helps you to, to uh, you know, achieve whatever, whatever you need to, need to do in your life. Number two, I really like what you guys are doing. Talk to as many people as you can. Um, a lot of people, and, and, and I was guilty of this, if I had to tell something to my teenage self, this is what I would tell, is talk to a lot of people before making decisions. Because again, it's, it's not a question of if you will do okay in life or good or bad. It's a question of have you made those decisions thoughtfully? any of the decisions have you have you thought about everything all your options and everything that you've done so i would say that uh, talk to as many people as you can who have done it who understand how things are done and you guys are doing a great job at it um and then uh finally i would say that uh, 
because I'm, uh, you know, the education guy at the, at the core, don't stop learning, right? And uh, it's not just a matter of college education or getting a PhD. Don't stop learning, period. Like just even, even now, I'm learning more and more about cloud, for example, right? Is I don't need to know all the details. But just yesterday, I was working out and I'm, I was listening on the site to what Kubernetes means. I don't know if you guys know all the details about that, but it's interesting how cloud has evolved over a period of time. And I'm, I'm trying to learn the differences between Docker and Kubernetes. This is all real architecture level stuff, right? As how everything works in the cloud, but don't stop learning. That's, that's, that's what I would say is there's always something new that you will find fascinating and you never know where it's going to help. That's amazing. That's a great way to end off the episode. I really admire your willingness and passion to do so many different things and still have that, I don't know, that positive outlook mindset of constant growth, constant education, constant learning. And I hope to implement that in my life. It's so much fun. Thank you so much 